0: Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, episode 78. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with our friend Amber O'Neill Johnston about her new book, A Place to Belong, and how we can build greater connection with our children, with our personal histories, and with each other in homeschooling.
1: There's so many differences, but at the end of the day, really, we are connected by our similarities as well. And I think that it's both, it's the diversity and appreciation and teaching our children and our children learn by by watching us as well to appreciate diversity and differences and variations, but also the kinship that is formed over similarities as well.
0: Plus, we'll share about some exciting events coming to the Wild and Free Farm Village this summer. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. Having five kids ranging in age from 6 to 18 comes with its own set of dynamics. Good things like having built-in babysitters after a decade of never being able to go out on dates, and not so good things like feeling grandmotherly when I'm around other mothers of preschoolers. But my children's interests overlap in more ways than you might imagine. It's not uncommon for me to walk into the kitchen in the morning and find all five of them huddled around the homemade Play-Doh I set out the night before, going head-to-head in a game of memory matching cards, or working together to construct a Lego set that my 12-year-old might be tackling at the moment. When the oldest ones see me coming, they quickly move on to something else. But it's too late. I have already delighted in seeing them embrace their childhood, if only for a moment. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. As our children grow older, they are expected to put away childish things, but many of them feel pressured to put away childlike things long before it's time. Children are meant to be children. And studies show that burdening them with adult challenges and responsibilities is harmful to their emotional health. Not only do children lose the security they need from home, but their brains aren't biologically able to process deep emotions or difficult situations like a mature adult's brain could. This parentification is not only harmful to their futures, but strips children of the freedom and joy of childhood. I want my home to be a safe and nurturing place for childhood. I want to foster a place that absorbs their missteps and mistakes in order to let childhood linger a little longer. Sometimes I have to bite my tongue. For example, my little one was skipping past our foyer the other day when she stopped and saw a strange box sitting outside on the front porch. I don't know about you. But in the age of Amazon deliveries for everything from rubber gloves to rotisserie chickens, our home life is constantly being interrupted by the sound of the doorbell, followed by the incessant barking of our Pomeranian, and then the scamper of kids running through the house in hopes that perhaps this delivery will at long last be for them. Only this time, the doorbell hadn't rung. Mama, my daughter called out, there's a package at the door. And no one dong the dong dong. I had to tell myself, grammar lessons will come soon enough. The world will correct her and call out her childlike wonder in time. But for now, my home is a sanctuary for her childhood. Her innocence is preserved here. The British educator Charlotte Mason wrote, Childhood is meant to be a quiet growing time. And yet... It's been fast-tracked and fertilized to suit our modern standards of child development. We have so much fear that our children will fall behind that we end up correcting the childhood right out of them. The notable psychologist and author Joseph Chilton Pierce wrote, we have a cultural notion that if children were not engineered, if we did not manipulate them, they would grow up as beasts in the field. This is the wildest fallacy in the world. So often, we sacrifice their childhood on the altar of preparing them for adulthood. But what if childhood was the preparation? What if having a whole childhood was the key to a healthy adulthood? There is no one else who can give our children a childhood. That, my friend, is something only you and I Can do. We'll hear from Amber Johnston in just a moment, but first, I wanted to share a special offer with you. The Wild and Free Content Bundles are monthly resources packed with articles, stories, tutorials, handcrafts, and other resources to help you make the most of these delightful days of childhood. For this week only, When you subscribe to the Wild and Free Content Bundles, you'll get access to this month's Commonplace Bundle, last month's Refuge Bundle, and next month's Heal Bundle when it becomes available on April 1st. That's three bundles in one week. Plus, we'll put a welcome kit in the mail that includes your first copy of the Wild and Free magazine. To take advantage of this special offer, visit bewildenfree.org slash bundles. Amber O'Neill Johnston lives in Georgia with her husband and their four children. Her happy place is the back porch on a rainy day, preferably with a giant mug of hot tea and a good book. And although she was raised in the air conditioning, somehow the woods is where she feels most at home these days. Amber is the author of the new book, A Place to Belong, and writes about adding multicultural mirrors and windows to a traditional Charlotte Mason education at HeritageMom.com. She recently sat down with us to talk about the book and how we can foster greater connection with our children, our personal histories, and with each other in homeschooling. Let's listen in. Thanks for joining me today, Amber.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it all day today. <laughs>
2: oh, I'm I'm really excited. It's such an important topic. And, you know, I was thinking about it before we started. And it's like, you know, my family, um, my husband's part Filipino, part Portuguese. Um, his dad was a migrant worker as a teenager. So in my homeschool, we have tended to Read about the history of our people in a way. Like we've read about migrant workers, or we've read um, some about Filipino history, we've read about Portuguese on my family my grandparents were immigrants from Hungary so we've read books by Hungarian authors but sometimes people are like why should i include other people or how do i be more inclusive i think that there's a lot of questions about what it even means and why it matters for our family
1: yeah no, that's a great question so that is kind of at the core of a lot of what i talk about in the book but you know first i i think that it's important for our children to be rooted in who they are. So I love hearing when you talk about the Portuguese history and um, and you know bringing in your family's background. And so I talk about a thing called intergenerational self and how children who have a strong sense of that intergenerational self, um, it's easier for them to develop healthy roots and to feel like their home is a place to belong. So I think the first step is um, just unabashedly like, examining and studying and loving and exploring and celebrating your own culture or your child's own culture, their family culture. And then with those deep roots that are developed, I think the point of reaching out and learning about other people is so that our children can spread their branches towards others. And to me, the point is to develop kinship. That's the end goal, because I feel like even especially now, there's a lot about diversity. Be diverse. Do this. You diversity here, diversity there. Yes, it's important. But I think diversity just for the sake of being diverse is kind of boring and not really um, uh, not really impactful enough for me. I have to have a why behind it. Like, why are we going to extend ourselves? Why are we going to do the harder part, the harder learning, the, the research? Why are we going to do this? And to me, it's about relationship. And that's what I want my kids to feel too. We're getting to know other people so that we can form bonds and relationships with them so that we can understand them um, as fellow humans and part of this beautiful world that we're living in and that we can stand with them and beside them and in front of them. If it's someone who may benefit from, from our leadership or protection, stand behind them when we need to be led. I think those are the main points to me.
2: Mm-hmm. There's so many interesting thoughts that were swirling in my head as you were going. First of all, you know we've really appreciated reading heroic stories about people. Like um, I was thinking about one hen is a story in Africa about a man who starts a chicken farm and then he helps other people start chicken farms, which lead like I mean I think it really helped that whole nation. I can't remember which African country it was. Out of poverty, you know. So you know, partly we read about other people to develop compassion and develop hope. But, you know, how do we like nurture our own family culture while still appreciating other cultures? I'm thinking, um, you know, for our family, we love Charlotte Mason learning. So that has made us more into, you know, classical poetry, beautiful art, music. And then for a little while, we lived in Mexico where some of the culture there, there was like more of a cartoon Um, like the murals and it was just a different, like it was a different art than we were used to. So we learned to appreciate it, but it didn't necessarily become our culture. So how can we like appreciate other cultures without necessarily losing our own?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think that um, exposure is a big part of it, especially for younger children. I think that a lot of times what we consider familiar is what we consider beautiful. And so when we, you know, Are studying these pictures and hearing the cadence of certain poems and listening to music, those things become beautiful to us because that's what we're used to. But if we expose our children widely, they will learn to have an appreciation for the beauty of others. And so I think that um, for my own kids, I am looking for them to take uh the time to humbly approach other people's creative work and to be able to walk away and say I appreciate um that there are a group of people who love this who express themselves in this way and sometimes my kids learn to love it too and at other times they'll say that's not really what I would choose to hang on my walls but I appreciate the heart behind the creation of that work and for me that's good. You know, I'm not looking for, I don't ever want my children to pretend, right? That's the opposite of having a feeling like you have a place to belong is feeling like you have to pretend to be impressed by something or pretend to love something that even I love that they may not. But I just want them to recognize that every culture, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about this, every culture has their heroes. Every culture has their art and their music and their heroic stories and their history. And we just want to make sure that we're not looking at ourselves as being unique in the sense that only we have the key to beauty and that, you know, it it lies within every group and every every people group across the world. So, and I, and I love that book you mentioned, you know, that was a really great example of one hen. It was um, a little boy in Ghana because I happen to know that because we're planning a trip to Ghana right now. But um, I think that it's an example where learning about the stories of other people also provides lessons and learning for our own culture. Um, what he did by being tenacious and dedicated and, Putting in this hard work and then was he how he was able to give back to his community after that. I want my kids to do that here, you know, in their own time and place. So I think that's another added benefit of learning and and reading widely and and meeting people and being in relationship with others.
2: Yeah, I love the idea of just approaching um, art and beauty and things that we are getting to expose our children to with sort of a non judgmental attitude where we are you know, we're not deciding that one way of doing things is better or worse. I don't know if you saw the movie, I think it was called baby. And it depicted the um, early childhood, like infancy in several different cultures. Yeah, and, and some of the cultures were really, really different from ours. And, and, but still did things in a way that, in my opinion, some of it was better, you know, but you didn't have to necessarily approach looking at other cultures as this is better, this is worse. But just with an open mind, like, oh, wow, this is the way they do things here. and, And we do things this way in our home. But that doesn't mean that one way is necessarily better or worse.
1: No, that's such that, that's so true. Yes, the, I remember that movie so well as a documentary Babies, and I loved it because I remember there weren't there weren't a lot of words. Right, you're mostly looking at and watching this video, video footage of, of these babies all over the world. And I remember one had like a rooster right by the little newborn's head, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" But it was totally fine. And one of them was walking around all over with no diaper on, just sitting on the ground doing whatever, and it was totally fine. And I I realized that that there's so many differences, but at the end of the day, really we are connected by our similarities as well. And I think that it's, both. It's the diversity and appreciation and teaching our children and our children learn by by watching us as well to appreciate diversity and differences and variations, but also the kinship that is formed over similarities as well. Yeah. And,
2: you know, that's that kind of brings up another thought I had a lot of children, you know, immigrant children came here and then were sort of discouraged by their I think it came from the schools, honestly, where, you know, the parents didn't want their children to stand out. They wanted to be all American kind of, so they didn't teach them their language. They didn't necessarily help them love their their culture of origin. And I think that that is a mistake that we can make too by being trying too hard to just like fit into a wider culture that we don't actually nurture our own culture of origin, whether it's from another country or whether it's, um, an you know, like my parents their grandparents, great grandparents emigrated a long time ago, but still there's a culture of origin that we could celebrate instead of just trying to become all American, whatever that is.
1: Oh yeah. And, and I, I definitely agree with that. I think that, um, I, I, try to do that a lot with my white girlfriends. I'm like, but like, what's your culture? What's your background? And they're like, oh no, I'm just white. I'm like, no, there's no such thing as just white. And I think that we're in a time and place where we're really learning to celebrate, cultures of black and brown people. And I love that. That's hugely important to me, obviously, as a black family. But I also encourage white families to look and look at your, your background. Like, no, it's not just white. It's not just American if you put a just in front of that. But where are your people from? What are their stories? What are the foods, the music, the languages? And even if you aren't connected to that, you can recreate that in your own children's generation. You can learn together about that. And I think that there's so much interest there. One of my girlfriends was over at my house one time and we were talking about this and she was like, oh, I don't really know. And I was like, well, where's your grandmother from? She was, like, she was Lithuanian. And I was like, really? Like, when did she come here? She was like, she came here like as a young woman. But, and I was like, why have you never told me about this? And she was like, well, I don't know anything about it. I'm like, we're about to make some Lithuanian food up in here. I don't know. Um, let's go look it up. Let's let's see what the country looks like. What do the people look like? What do they sound like? And she just was so amazed. And I, I kind of saw her face light up when she thought of her having a story that was special that she had a special story that she could share with her kids a story that she was just learning herself uh, so I think that that's what a lot of this is about
0: we'll be back with Amber and Jen in just a moment but I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about our first family festival of the summer at the Wild and Free Farm Village for centuries people all over the world have celebrated the summer solstice with bonfires food dancing and festivals. You might think of A Midsummer's Night Dream, a Shakespearean play in which the characters are beguiled by the fairies of the forest during this enchanted time. Regardless of how you see it, Midsummer is a time to celebrate, a time to gather, a time to dance, a time to go on an adventure, a time to make flower crowns and take barefoot walks in the dewy grass. A time to stay up late to take in all the light of the sun on the longest day of the year. Join us for the inaugural Midsummer Family Festival on the grounds of the Wild and Free Farm Village on June 10th through 12th of 2022. We could all use a little magic, don't you think? To learn more, go to bewildandfree.org upcoming. Now, back to Amber and Jennifer Pepito.
2: When we know that we have a heritage of overcoming, like when we know that our ancestors um, by providence in some way overcame, like one of my great grandmothers supposedly had a ticket for the Titanic and got delayed and, and therefore my family is here because she wasn't on that ship as a steerage poor passenger. Um, you know. So I think that when we start to know our heritage, our own background, it can help us have more hope for the future when we see what our ancestors overcame.
1: Absolutely. And it also is another point of connection for our children. So a lot of us, especially, you know, in our in our community are, you know, our children maybe haven't experienced struggle to the same degree firsthand, and so when they see other people around them struggling or hear about it in the news, there can be a risk of othering, kind of like, oh, well, we're over here, we're good, but they are experiencing this hard time, I feel bad for them. But when they hear their own family's history their own family's stories and realize that this is the story of humanity, you know, whether someone's in the valley or someone's in the mountaintop in any given moment, may vary, but that we all have this, this is part of our tapestry, right? And so it helps them to connect and say, okay, that person was just like my family was, or is experiencing something my family has experienced or will experience. Um, And I think that's just, it's really, really interesting. There's this quote. Um, there's a, a. It's a book. It's. It was written in like 1970, I think. Um, it's called The Omni Americans, and in it, this author has this famous quote, Albert Murray. He says, "The United States is, in actuality, not a nation of black people and white people. It's a nation of multicolored people. Any fool can see that the white people are not really white, and that black people are not black. They are all interrelated one way." or another. Oh, I love that. I just love it too. No, and and no. of course, you know, that's not meant to erase anything. Uh, you know, I'm very proud to be Black. I want everyone to be proud of who they are. Yeah. But just to say that, I mean, basically what he's saying is it's all quite silly if you come down to it. And, and if we were to blur those lines and realize like we're all just the same you know yeah, I mean, it's
2: it's not as cut and dry like my my uncle thought my husband was black for the first <laughs> you know first few times he met him because he was a darker skinned Portuguese Filipino American who was out in the sun a lot with curly yeah. hair you know so it's yeah. like um there is a, you know especially and that is one beautiful thing about the fact that there is more, like I, I know that there's been a lot of problems. I don't want to diminish that, but I feel like there have been more interracial marriages in the last 50 years and and less of a stigmatization on um on cultural, like on on ethnic backgrounds mixing. And so it is getting even more beautiful, the whole tapestry of of you know, olive skinned and white skinned and black, black skin. It's it, yeah.
1: It's becoming harder for people to peg to beg people, right? Like they don't, they don't know. And and I think, oh, great. Let's confuse the pot even more. I mean, I just, I, 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 again, I think that um, people are often either on one camp or the other. They're either like, I'm really proud of who I am. I'm so into this. I'm into my culture. I'm into my heritage. Or they're just like, we're all the same. There are no differences to celebrate because everything's the same. And I'm like, I'm like both. Like, yes, and, you know, like, I am who I am. And I'm so proud of my heritage. And I want to celebrate it. And I want people to appreciate it. And, and I want to do that with my kids. And at the same time, I want to mix it all up and be like, we're sisters, we're brothers, like, come on, let's do this thing together. Let's be in relationship with one another. Let's get to know each other. Let's be there for each other. So I think that we don't always have to choose either or, but like we can have it all. In
2: this I, I think that's so important, Amber. And, you know, I know one of the things that can kind of stump us right now is we you know, we can, sometimes guilt can make us withdraw. You know, sometimes when you, when you are worried about what you might have done in the past or what your ancestors might have done in the past, you know, my, um, my husband's, uh, let's see. So his grandparents had to get married either in Nevada or in Mexico. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the story because it was illegal for a non-white, like they were Portuguese and Philippine. One, the mom was Portuguese or the great grandpa Portuguese. Let's see. The great grandma was Portuguese. The great grandpa was Filipino and they were not allowed to get married in California because it's illegal for a non-white to marry a white, which neither of them were really that white in a way. But, you know, so there's some guilt about the way things have happened in the past and, and things that have been done. But I also don't want my children to live in like a state of shame or guilt about being white ish. How do you, how do you deal with that? Or how do we teach our children to care about what happened in the past without putting them in shame.
1: Oh, I think there are, are several different ways. One, I think being in relationship—you know, having them again in community with people who are different and and people who are the same—right now, where when they're hearing about this history and what happened in the past, they can already look at where they are in the present and say, like, "Oh, things are changing, things are getting better, and I'm a part of that." Um, and I also think you know, when we tell stories of the past, I was talking to a friend about that and she was like, but my kids feel really bad. Um, you know, when we talk about like enslavement and, and all the horrible things that white people did. And I was like, well, do you read stories of abolitionists with your kids? Because to me, I, I think that just as much as you can read about the things that were negative, you can also point your child to the, po- to the fact that there has always been someone to stand up and say No this is wrong and I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to accept it. And I'm like, be that person, you know, identify with that person in history as well, just as much as you may see aspects of your heritage in, in, in other, you know, in other ways. So I think it's difficult, um, and it doesn't escape any of us. You know, I remember in school reading books like Huckleberry Finn and, um, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, and all of this, and to be the only black child in the classroom with a white teacher and all white students, and how horrible that experience felt, you know, every time they said the N word or every time, you know, we tried to examine something and I was holding all of that on my shoulder. So all of our kids on, no matter what their background have experiences where they're having to process and deal with the sins of our fathers. And that's, you know, part of the fallen world in some ways.
2: Yeah. I've, I've been at like a few different kind of services where there was a time of repentance, almost like where people were essentially saying sorry. Maybe to it was maybe to some of the black church leaders or um, Native American leaders. And you know, I, th- I think there is a place for saying we're sorry, even if we're saying we're, we're sorry on behalf of somebody else, is not even ourselves. But then I I agree with you that we have to be able to go on and identify. Like we can just as easily identify with William, William Wilberforce or somebody who really fought against injustice as a someone who was a part of injustice.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of the things that, you know, you're talking about, like the um, apologizing, um, the showing empathy, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, we can ha- we have the opportunity to be hospitable, to show hospitality to others, to show empathy. Um, and sometimes you do apologize. I apologize on behalf of things my children do at times, you know, and I didn't do that. But I understand that, there was a part of um, something that is a part of me um, that harmed or hurt someone in a situation. And and I am sorry that that happened. Um, So I think that humility along with forgiveness, and I mean, this is heavy, big work, right? And we're asking our kids to participate in it. And I think that um, some of What we have to do is to model for them what it could be like to swim in the truth about history, um, the truth about how there are still things broken today, and the truth about the idea that we can still choose to do the right thing. We all have that power every day to to choose to do that.
2: I love that. And I think that, you know, that is such a beautiful way that we can help make the world a better place is just in our own homes, choosing to take the high road, choosing to um, love what is good and hate what is evil and um, walk in justice.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's definitely important. And, you know, and I talk about also that I think that it begins so much in the home because this is where children are learning their value system and what's important to them. They're learning through us and through their experiences with us. Home is their safe place. It's their home base. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all hoping, I hope, to launch healthy children, adults into the world. And we we do want them to be brave and to be change makers and to feel empowered um, to, you know move against the grain um, in order to stand with and for what they believe in. And I think that um, allowing them opportunities to practice while they're young is a key to success.
2: Yeah. And, and I think that that's so important, just that we empower our children to believe that they could be part of the change.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think that's one of the things I always tell. I I always share my black history lessons that I'm doing with my kids and school. I share them on my blog each year and, you know, sometimes, uh, people talk about like, well, isn't this going to to be so hard for the kids? Like they're just going to see all of this, you know, negative stuff that happened. They're going to think that, that everything's that it's hopeless. And I'm like, well, then I didn't do my job. Because I never leave my children, they can't walk away from the table feeling like it's hopeless. What I hope they see is that we are our ancestors' biggest, most wildest dreams, you know, and that there is um, a story that um, already has an ending, and we're just here as part of it today, and that they they can be filled with hope and still be learning the truth about what happened. And they can still know that there's work to be done today and they can still be filled with hope at the same time. So I think that it's our job to um, not just kind of throw heavy material at our children, but to actually swim in it with them, with all of the years of conversations and discussions and examples, and to let them hear us be vulnerable, to let them hear us when we're angry about injustice, um, to also let them hear us talk about successes and progress that's being made. So I think that kids can handle a lot more than we probably give them credit for.
2: Yeah, that's a, such an encouraging way to end this episode. And I'm really excited to read your book, A Place to Belong. It's already been pre-ordered here. and I hope that um, the Wild and Free community can get their hands on it and really be able to encourage our children to towards a more inclusive
1: future. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I love talking to you every time, and I appreciate you having
0: me on. Thanks so much, Amber. I cannot wait for this community to read your new book, A Place to Belong. It's truly amazing, so deeply thoughtful and beautifully written. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But join us again next time for the Wild and Free podcast